Thanks for tuning into this podcast of Island Community Church's study in the book of Jonah, part one. Unfortunately, due to a power outage last Sunday, we will not be able to play the message in its entirety. Following this announcement, you'll hear the message in part, and then a summary from our pastor, Barrett Bowden. Good morning, church. Our um, passage for today comes from Jonah 1. If you would open your Bibles. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do? What What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Let's let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, a day to worship you, a day to remember God the great great grace, Lord, that you have for us in giving your one and only Son and your love for us, Lord, that we who deserve to die because of our sin against you, Lord, have found a way back to you, Lord, through your Son who was given for us, Lord, to live for us, to die for us, to rise again for us, that we might have life. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for the hope and the relationship we have in you, Lord. Lord, we know that our life is for you, our hearts are for you, God. And Lord, we just approach your word this morning, Lord, just asking that you would speak to us, asking that it would be alive through your spirit and grace, God, to speak to our hearts in the ways that we need to hear from you, God. 
And not only just to hear from you, God, but Lord, we ask for your grace that we might change, that we might be doers of the word and not just hearers only. God, for your glory in our lives, we pray these things. And God, for the glory of your name among all the nations, Lord, we ask that you would make us pure vessels, surrendered vessels, Lord, for your, for your sake. God, I just pray today that your grace would find us where we are. In Jesus' name. Well, good morning, guys. I hear the rain coming down. You hear it? It's awesome. Um, it's, it's a great day because we're going to be talking about a big storm today. And so I actually was praying this morning and asking for this storm. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, we got the real deal this morning, a real alive word for us. Uh, I am super excited to begin this morning a study of the book of Jonah. And if you haven't already turned your Bible open to the book of Jonah, I would encourage you to do that um, because we're going to be in Jonah today. It will be on the screen or you can borrow a Bible next to you if you don't have your Bible this morning. Don't feel bad. It's okay. Um, But we are beginning a series in the book of Jonah that will carry us over the next, uh, this Sunday and then three more Sundays. So a four-week series in total. And uh, I am really excited about it. Why am I excited about it? Well, I think Jonah is one of the greatest, I mean, it is a little bitty book, right? In your Bibles, how many pages is it? Maybe like one or two, depending on how big the print is. But it is, though very small, one of the greatest gospel books in the Old Testament. It is just full of gospel truth. A couple of reasons, like from my pastor's heart, why we are in Jonah right now. First of all, uh, we're in Jonah because it is an amazing, amazing, true story of God's grace and our sin. It is like a little mini um, gospel narrative, would you? And on display is our sin, your sin, my sin, in our life. We have messed it up and we are not the people yet that God wants us to be. And in Jonah, we will find ourselves, especially in our sin. But it's also a story of just, as the slides that you're looking at say, God's relentless grace. It is a picture of God's grace finding us, pursuing us, covering us, loving us, redeeming us, inviting us. It is all about God's grace, and it's awesome. It's about our desperation and God's deliverance. Great, great book for that reason alone. Secondly, it is a book about God's heart for all nations and his heart for big cities. Many of you guys know this book primarily because of the mission that God gave Jonah to go to Nineveh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Don't let that just pass by you, all right? A lot of us look at this book and think, oh, it's just a great kid story, cute whale, oh, he gets swallowed up, spit back out, whatever. No, there's a lot more going on here, all right? And who decides that that's a cute kid story anyway? Like, fish eat man, like, three days spit up, I'm a sea, like, that's terrible. Like, I don't know that I want to teach Caroline that in her first few months. Um, but anyway, uh, think about it more than that. It is a picture of God's heart for lost people and for the nations, people that aren't sitting here in this room this morning and for this city, like the city of Memphis. God has a heart for all people and he is desiring that all people know him and he's inviting us 
to be a part of that mission and ministry. And if you don't see your life like that, then you need to wake up through this study of Jonah because that is a big theme that runs through the book. That's number two. Third reason, and I'll stop here. (laughs) I can just keep going with all the reasons that I want to teach this book because I'm just so excited about it. Third reason is this, is that, you know, for a long time, I think I read this book and all I saw was the missional aspect of the book of Jonah. The fact that Jonah is written to teach us that we need to go and be a witness to all people. And that is there. But the more I read Jonah, the more I study Jonah, the more I realize that as much as it's for the people that Jonah is going to go reach, it is for Jonah, what God is wanting to do. And this book shows us the transforming power of God's grace, not just to save us, but to change us, to make us more like him in our heart of hearts and in our life. It's about God preparing missionaries for the mission. And I don't just mean missionaries like full-time missionaries that go move to the boot hills of Africa, although I pray that you would think about that with your life because people need you there. It's not just for them, though. It's also just all of us who are called by God and sent out by God, tasked by God to be a witness for him and a light for him in this dark world. God cares as much about preparing us for that task as he does the task that he has called us to. Three big themes, all right? And it just makes me incredibly excited with you to dive into the book of Jonah. If you're not currently reading the Bible on a daily basis, I would encourage you, read the book of Jonah as we go through this series. It's short. You can read it in about probably 15 minutes. Um, Read it, reread it, reread it prayerfully, asking God to show you yourself, asking God to show you him. And I believe if you are serious about seeking God through his word and through this book of Jonah, that God will reveal himself to you. The scripture says that if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And that's true for every book of the Bible that we turn to. So must I say more? I'm excited about Jonah. Are you excited about Jonah? Just look at your neighbor. Some of you guys need to wake up because it's raining outside and maybe you didn't get your full breakfast this morning. Maybe you're, I don't know what it is. Look at your neighbor and, and just make sure they're awake. And then secondly, tell them you're excited about Jonah. <laughs> All right. Oh, the first thing that I want to deal with real quick uh, before I go further into the book is I know some of you have heard or maybe thought before that this book is not r- real history. Uh, you might have thought that perhaps this book is an allegory or perhaps it's a parable, but it doesn't represent something that is actually real, that happened in real history. And I just want to address that real quick because it's kind of hard for us to study this book seriously without that question being addressed. And, I, and if you have doubts about it, you know, it's okay to wrestle with these things. I just want to try to encourage you with what I see in Scripture and what I see um, as true and, ask, and just invite you to, to understand it. I actually believe that the book of Jonah is real history. Jonah is a real guy. Now, the reason I say that is because, in, and you make a note of this, in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14, verse 25, what we find is during the reign of a real king, Jeroboam II, Jonah was a real prophet. 
He's described in Scripture as a real man who really existed, who had real assignments from God. And so here in this book, it's not some just made-up story about a guy who didn't exist. This is a true story about a snippet of a real guy's life who really did exist, who had a real mission from God, and his name was Jonah. Okay? That's the first reason I would just want to encourage you to see that this is true. The second reason, and probably the more... um, convincing reason is this, and that is our Lord Jesus actually believed that Jonah was a real guy who had a real mission from God to a real place called Nineveh. Several times in Matthew and also in Luke, I'll give you the references, Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11, Jesus actually compares himself to Jonah, and he said that the sign that he would give would be the same as the sign that that Jonah gave. And he also says to people who didn't listen to his message, to Jesus' message, he says, be careful because the condemnation that's coming upon you will be greater than that of Nineveh. Again, Jesus, believing that Jonah, a real man, that he compares himself to, and Nineveh, and the judgment that Jonah preached, a real place and a real message that he preached that he's saying would come upon even more people. Now listen, if I begin to question Jesus and what he believed about history, then I can't believe anything that Jesus says. But I do believe everything that Jesus says. And because of that, I believe that Jonah is real. It's true. Does that make sense? So it's not a parable. It's not an allegory. It's a real story of real history about real people that our Lord confirms as real and true and says that we need to listen to. And for that reason, we go and we take Jonah as an authoritative word of God for us. All right. Got your Bibles? Jonah chapter one. We're going to be covering this chapter this morning. And our theme today, you see it on the block up here, flee. Verse 1. And the word, I'll just stop there. I love this. Oh, honey, this is going to be such a long message. He stopped after the first word. Um, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I love that it starts with and, right? Because it just shows us that this is a continued story of the story of God's redemption. 66 books in the Bible. This is just one piece of a bigger story. And the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. A continuation of what God is already doing in this time, in this place. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I'm going to stop right there real quick. Again, who is Jonah? He's a real dude. He has a real dad. And what's his dad's name? It's probably similar to your dad's name, right? Amittai. Whose dad's name, Amittai? Okay, no. Oh, wow. We actually got a hand. That was awesome. Um, Real guy, real dad, his name is Amittai. Now, I told you before, in 1 Kings chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 14, we see that Jonah is a prophet of God. And in fact, what he had been told by God earlier, he had been given a message, and he went with the message, and what God had said to them, Israel was in a really tough place there in Kings. 
they, their enemies had taken a lot of the land that God had originally given to them. And Jonah went in with a message. And his message was, God's going to give you back territory from your enemies. Right? He's going to enlarge your boundaries. Things are going to get better for you, Israel. And in fact, the prophecy that he spoke to Israel came true. And what we read in Kings is that through Jonah, it says God saved many people. God saved many people. Now, what does that do to Jonah? It makes him a hero, right? Jonah is now a prophet who is a hero among the people of Israel because his message was validated. It came true, and it was a wonderful message. Jonah would have been a celebrated guy and a well-known guy because through Jonah came the enlargement, the redemption, the recovery of what had been lost in Israel. Does that make sense? So when you think of Jonah, all right, I need you to understand that he's just not some pathetic character that we read about in this book. He's a real guy, and before this moment in his life, he is a man of God who has spoken the word of God, who has been victorious in this word, and he is celebrated among his people. Does that make sense? All right? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, back in your scripture, the son of Amittai. And he said, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let me stop right there. Story opens. Jonah hero, prophet. He had heard the word of God. He had spoken the word of God. Israel had been successful. He is celebrated among his people. And now God brings him another word. This is what Jonah does. This is what he's called to do. He's called to hear from God. He's called to do God's will. Here comes another word. Arise, Jonah. Now you go this time, and I've got a message for you. You're going to where? What's it say? The great city of Nineveh. And you're going to call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Arise and go. Okay? Very different message than the first. Nineveh, huge city, well-fortressed city, really big deal. It is the leading city among one of the leading empires of the day. It is a big city. And not only that, but it's a city among the Assyrian people. Now, the Assyrian people are enemies of the Israelites. And in fact, there's conflict, conflict, conflict among them. Hated among Israel are the Assyrians. Hated among the Assyrians is Israel. I mean, they are warring peoples. And not just that, but the Assyrians are brutal peoples. And you see God saying their sin. Not only is it a great city, Gadol in Hebrew, big city, but oh, their sin has come up against me. The Assyrian people were a brutal people. They were ruthless to their enemies. Decapitations were common. They would cut off people's head. They would skin them while they were alive. They would take the heads and make big pyramids. They would 
poke huge holes through, and all of this is just from history that you can read and study in museums across the world. Huge holes in the chins of their enemies where they would tie ropes through their chins and drag them around, even while skinned, while alive. Brutal, horrific, terrible people. Ruthless toward their enemies. It's a little bit of a different task than hey, go and give a happy message to Israel that things are about to get better and their boundaries are about to grow bigger, right? You're going to be a hero among Israel. Tell them what I want to do, the great and wonderful things. Versus, go to your enemies. Go to those who could skin you alive and cut off your head and stack you in a pyramid. Poke a hole through your chin. Go to them and tell them that if they don't change, they're going down. Right? It'd be like it'd be like the difference in an assignment of this, you know. If if I came to you and said, Hey, you know, what I'd really like for you to do is go to our small groups this week and encourage them uh, to go to the St. Jude ministry next week because I really believe that God's gonna do something great and, and, and we can together go to St. you know, a message like that that you have to deliver to the small groups. Versus, hey, you know what I'd really like for you to do this next week is go to the vice lords. Go to them and in, in, in that place where they've been hanging out and doing drugs and, and, and it's like a prostitution ring up there. Go, go to them where they pack it with guns and they have total, I mean, it, it's very likely you could die. Go to them and tell them how wicked they are and that they need to repent and know the Lord. Now, do you see the, the difference in the two assignments? <laughs> are, you, are you alive? Okay, it's a little bit different, right? And we need to see it. The reality for us is this, that Jonah is experiencing God's word coming to him, saying, Jonah, this is my will for you. This is what I want for you to do. And all of us in this room, all of us in this room, let me say it again, all of us in this room, have heard from God in ways similar to Jonah here. Nineveh, for us, becomes a representation of that thing that God calls us to do that maybe doesn't feel so comfortable, that maybe doesn't seem so easy, that maybe is something that God wants for us, but that we don't want for ourselves. Nineveh is the place of God's will. And all of us in our lives, like Jonah, have heard in specific ways, maybe sometimes in general ways, the will of God for our life. Some of us have heard it through scripture. You know, it's amazing to me the number of people that will come to me and say, you know, I just just want to know what God's will is for my life. And they want some special word, personal word for them. But sometimes we don't need a personal word because we have 66 books of God's word here in the scriptures. And all of this word is true and personal for you. And God's revealed will is here. And sometimes we don't need to hear a special word. If we just open the Bible, we can hear God's word. And it does apply to our life. Sometimes his will looks like just doing what he's already said for us to do. Not sleeping around with our girlfriends. Not becoming drunk with wine, 
Maybe forgiving those who are hard to forgive. Maybe bearing witness to our neighbor. Maybe it's honoring our father and our mother. Maybe it's loving our wife as Christ has loved the church. There are some things in God's word that are very clear, and those things are God's will for us and for all who believe. Some of us have heard God's word like Jonah has heard God's word just from the scripture. And Nineveh for us is that thing that we know God has called us to that seems really hard to do, that maybe we don't want to do, or maybe makes us uncomfortable to think about doing. Maybe it's a more personal word. God does speak to us in personal ways. Maybe you've felt like in your life before that God is calling you toward something specific. Maybe he's moving you to a different place, or he's calling you to a specific job, or maybe he's assigning to you a special ministry. Maybe he's asking you to surrender more, to maybe think about moving overseas to be a part of his mission work. it, It could be maybe you just have impressed on your heart a person that you feel like God is calling you to love, to minister to, and to share the gospel with. There are things that God speaks to us by his spirit in our hearts and in our life that are very much like the word that God speaks to Jonah. Here's what I want you to do. Here's my will for you. Get up and let's go do it. Even things that feel uncomfortable. Do you, uh, you've, have you had these moments? Have you had these moments where you sense God's will? And now the question is what you're going to do about it. Well, now we go to verse 3. And the interesting thing about the book of Jonah is, oh, rhetorically, it's just a great book. It's so well written. I mean, you got to give the Bible props. It's a really good book. And it's so well written. You expect, right? What do you expect after verse 2? Jonah, great prophet of God, been successful. He hears from the word of God. He does what God wants him to do. He's a hero among his people. We hear all these books in similar pattern, you know, God spoke this, and then the prophets, they went and did that. You expect, after verse 2, to hear, So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh. He preached the message of judgment to Nineveh, and God destroyed the Ninevites. That's what you expect, right? That would be the typical pattern of just success of God's prophets following God's will and God delivering on the thing that he has promised. But instead... Here you have Jonah, a man of God, who has followed the will of God, who is celebrated among his people as a leader of God. And in verse 3, we see this. Right after the word comes, but, but, surprise, but Jonah rose to flee to where? To Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. 
Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and deliver this word for me. Okay, I'll get up. I'm going to Tarshish. <laughs> Nineveh, 500 miles northeast. I don't know which direction is northeast from where you are. <laughs> 500 miles northeast, I think that's right. Tarshish, 2,000 miles west. Let me say it again. Nineveh, 500 miles northeast from where he was. Tarshish, 2,000 miles west. Deliberately, Jonah hears God's word. Get up, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm out of here. Ha, see ya. I'm, I'm not, no. I'm not going. You say go east, I'm going west. I, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. In fact, I will make my way down to Joppa and I will get on a boat and I will go as far as I can because that is not anything that I want to be a part of. Disobedience. Maybe he felt like it was impossible Maybe he felt hopeless. Maybe he felt despaired. Maybe he's just selfish. Maybe he made excuses like this. You know what? I just don't feel a peace about going to Nineveh. I just don't think that's what God really wants for me. You know what? I've got the money in my pocket to go to Tarshish. It makes more sense for me to go there. Y'all ever had excuses like this in your own life? I'm just not the right person to go to Nineveh. I know that's what God wants, but I just, I'm not the right person. You know what? I just don't feel like going to Nineveh would be the right thing for me to do. You know, people in Tarshish need the Lord just as much as people in Nineveh. Why are y'all laughing? (laughs) It sounds like you made excuses before. Or you've heard somebody else do it, right? We all know someone who's done that, not us. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I've prayed about this, and I just don't think that's what God really wants for me. Bull. Disobedience. Jonah forgot that he was a man of God, and it was a great privilege to be a man of God. It was a great privilege to hear the word of God. It was a great privilege to be able to be obedient to God. Jonah somehow forgot all of these things, and in forgetting, in excusing, in self-justifying, in doubting, Jonah disobeys the Lord. I'm telling you today, uh, if you look at all Almost all of the great men of Scripture, you look at Moses, you look at Elijah, you look at Jeremiah, I could go on and on. All of them have had moments where they hear from the Lord and yet they run in the opposite direction. They flee. As it says with Jonah, very clearly in verse 3, He fled away from the presence of the Lord. It is common to feel in the ministry and the will that God has assigned for us to feel like giving up, to feel like running away. I'll never forget when I was in the bush of Africa. 
soon after the Lord had called me to ministry, I knew that that's where God was sending me. I had never, ever left the United States, had to apply for my passport to even go, and I had signed up for seven months. What in the world? And I'll never forget being there, and soon after being there, after smelling the things I smelled, after seeing the things that I was seeing, after feeling the homesickness that I felt, after no communication with anybody back home, after not really doing well with some of my teammates after going, how in the world is this going to happen? I don't even think I want to be here. I remember times in that first few weeks where I felt like it would be easier to just pack up and go back home than to stay and fulfill the assignment that God had for me. Me, the disobedient. I'd rather walk away than stay here in this mess. Even though these people I know need you, this is not for me. I'd rather get back on and go. I remember times in ministry here where I have felt like God was calling me to lead in something or to do something. And I have felt at times that it would be easier to pack up and go, to call it quits and walk away than to fulfill the ministry or to do the thing that God had asked me to do. I remember times in marriage where doing the hard work of thriving marriage. Sometimes it has felt like, should I just walk away from this conversation rather than to plead with my wife to forgive me? (laughs) In pride, should I just walk away or should I stay and admit that I'm wrong? Oh, it seems easier to walk away, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's easy. It is a common experience when you are seeking to do the will of God, when you actually hear the will of God and the word of God for you to feel like it is easier to just call it quits and to walk away, to flee from the presence of the Lord than to surrender and do the thing that God has called you to do. That is what we're looking at here. The wickedness, the rebelliousness, the depravity of our hearts here in Jonah. And in reality, his fleeing is sin. And I need you to hear this this morning. Because I believe right now, Jonah tries to throw himself overboard. He finally says, you know what? You should just take me. Yeah, I've screwed it up. I've tried to run away. It's cause of me, guys. I'm going overboard. I'm done. But Jonah can run, but he cannot hide. Psalm 139. Where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go to run away? If I go to the highest heavens and to the depths of the sea, still you are there. Everywhere I go, you will be there. The omnipresence of God, you cannot escape. You can run, you can flee, but you cannot hide. It's true for Jonah, it's true for us. God is with Jonah every step of the way, and he is pursuing him like crazy in his grace. God could have said, you know what? I'm done with you, Jonah. Too bad, missed opportunity. I'll find somebody else. God is capable of finding somebody else to go to Nineveh. God's hand is not short that he would be thwarted. Listen, God could have done it through somebody else. 
God chose to do it through Jonah. Because as much as Nineveh needed Jonah, Jonah needed Nineveh. God's grace was relentless to Jonah. Why the storm? Why the confrontation with the pagans? Why, verse 17, the well and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Why did God do all of this? It's because God is showing his grace toward Jonah. The greater danger for Jonah wasn't getting swallowed up in the storm. The greater danger for Jonah was being able to run away from God and not surrender to his will. That was the greater danger for Jonah. Jonah needs to be set free from his self-dependence. Jonah needs to submit to God. See, when you submit to God, that's the only place of real freedom in your life. Did you know this? When you are willing to submit and surrender to God, it is the only place of real freedom in your life. And if you are going to run from God, you better know that God is going to make you miserable until you come back to him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. Turn there real quick in your scripture. start in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is written to believers. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Lord disciplines those whom he loves and he chastises every one whom he receives. This is not punishment for Jonah. This is an intervention. It's not punishment Well, you heard the big pop and the power went out, but as it did, what I was saying and what I would like to say to you today who are listening to this podcast and seeking God with your heart, that this storm was not punishment for Jonah, and often the storms in our life, whether they're caused from our sin or the sins of others, are not meant for the punishment of us, but rather, in God's grace, they are meant intervention. Hebrews 12 verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. 
We could look at the storm of Jonah and the storms of our own life as punishment. But really, the storm God was using in his grace just to save Jonah from a greater danger. Even greater of a danger than the storm was the danger of his self-dependence. And it's the same for us. It's the danger of running from God, being allowed to flee from him with no consequence, with no nothing in our life to draw us back. Being free just to leave, that's a greater danger for us. Submitting ourselves to God is really the only freedom, one commentator says, because the deepest slavery is self-dependence and in self-reliance. Through the storm, Jonah is being called by God's grace back to God. Through the storms in our life, we are being called by God's grace back to God to submit to rely upon him, to depend upon him, to surrender to him totally. One commentator says that whenever we try to run from God, he's committed to making our life miserable for our sake, not to punish us, but to intervene. God's relentless grace. In our fleeing, God's grace pursues us. I just want to ask you what I asked our church that day as we <laughs> sat in the dark together. And it's this. What is the Holy Spirit calling you to that you have been rejecting? What areas of your life are you running, fleeing from God's will and not thriving in? Why are you doing this? Where do you think you're going? And what is keeping you from surrender? God is pursuing you, just as he did Jonah, in his grace, with his power today. Do you see God's pursuit of his will for your life as his grace? The storms that you're in, do you see them as an opportunity for greater God-reliance and God-dependence? Do you realize that surrendering to His will is the best life for you? Come back to the Lord. In your fleeing, God's grace is pursuing you. It's His promise for all who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm so thankful, I am so thankful for his relentless grace. Won't you call out to him today?